heard from several, or at least one woman, um, my woman, um, who uh, attended the women's conference uh, this past weekend. My wife, love you. Um, that I know several uh, women from our church uh, were blessed uh, Friday night and most of the day yesterday attending the conference. Uh, uh, if Moran and uh, I know they're they're full and uh, spiritually tired, and that can be a good thing. Um, so uh, rejoicing in that and. What a perfect uh, chance to have a, a conference like that, uh, right, as we are leading into the season of Lent. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, you didn't grow up with Lent. And so the idea of Lenten season, it's, they're kind of weird words and, and things. And if it's familiar to you, great. Uh, but uh, a lot like what uh, Advent has become for many of us in recent years, um, leading us a, a pathway toward Christmas. So the Lenten season is an opportunity to lay out a pathway for us in preparation for uh, Easter, uh, really the, the high water moment of our Christian calendar celebrating the resurrection of Jesus back from the dead. And uh, Lent uh, really is usually starts on Ash Wednesday, uh, which is this Wednesday, which happens to coincide with a great holiday, Valentine's Day. What a great moment this year uh, to think about love but a love greater than our human love, but the love of God the Father to us on Valentine's Day, and then to enter into the season of Lent. So today is in part an invitation for you, whether you like the word or like to use the word Lent, that doesn't matter, but it's an invitation, and I'll explain that more as we move along today. But Lent is the 40 days... Uh, leading up to Easter, about six weeks. You don't count the Sundays if you're a mathematician and go home and start looking at your calendar. You'll say, well, there's more than 40 days from this Wednesday to Easter morning. It's because we don't count uh, Sundays. Uh, Lent historically has been a penitential season. It's a, an invitation for us together and us individually to come before the Lord in a focused way to invite Him to examine our lives afresh. And it's good. It's healing. And it's cleansing. And so that, that's the invitation for you today. It's an opportunity for confession to uh, allow the Lord to examine us. And part of what uh, we're going to learn in our passage today, as we have been looking through some portions of the Gospel of Luke, we started several weeks ago, and you might remember in Luke chapter 9, when there's a significant transition in the Gospel at that point, when it says that Jesus resolutely set His face toward Jerusalem. And it wasn't that He sat down at His computer to get a Southwest ticket so He could get away for the weekend. He was setting His face toward Jerusalem because it's a picture that He is now going to fulfill His purpose for coming to the earth. And that was to find His way, much of what we've sung today, to find His way to the cross on purpose because it was through His sinless, perfect life that uh, our sins, mine and yours, could be placed on Him and in His sacrificial act for you and for me on the cross, your sins might be forgiven. And the forgiveness is extended, it's offered to you, but it requires you to reach out and to receive the love of God and the grace that He gives to you. So Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, sets His face toward Jerusalem. And the rest of the Gospel traces that journey and the encounters that come along. What we'll learn in Luke chapter 11, you're welcome to open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 11, 
Turn your Bibles on, if you like. Luke chapter 11, we find, at least in part, that when we begin to distort, to distort what it means to relate to God through Jesus, we mess up what it means to really love other people. When we distort what it is and means to relate to God through Jesus Christ, we mess up what it means to love others. Here's what Jesus and His encounter with some Pharisees along the way. Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited Him to eat with Him. So He went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, he was surprised. Now let's pause. This isn't just because Jesus lacked personal hygiene. That's not what surprised the Pharisee. There were certain expectations for religious people of the day that you would go through certain ritual preparation before you would engage in certain acts, even, even around mealtime. So verse 39, Then Jesus said to him, He says, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, this is quite a way to start some dinner conversation, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside of the cup make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, and you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in His wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. So, decision time. How do they respond in verse 53? When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose Him fiercely and to besiege Him with questions waiting to catch Him in something that He might say. And in the Gospels, we know that as time went on, they stopped looking just for ways to trap Jesus and to, to catch Him in words that might compromise Him and began to look actively to execute Him, to kill Him, to get rid of him. And such is the way 
for the Pharisees. You know, Jesus in this passage is kind of a maybe a startling statement for some of you. When you uh, maybe have assumed that Jesus always had these cushy, loving words to hug around people. But you know, the, the people that Jesus was harshest with were the super religious people. People sometimes like me, who like to kind of talk about religious practice, but there are times when we struggle to live out the life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you find yourself there sometimes, maybe? Maybe. Jesus joined the view uh, that some Pharisees, uh, or some had pointed out about the Pharisees over the years, about how their priorities at times get out of whack. The Talmud, which is a, a Jewish uh, explanation of uh, oral teaching and things, in one part gives seven different descriptions of Pharisaical life. This group of people that were so... Uh, intent on honoring God by trying to live by every letter of the law and everything. And they, they had this great big list that they tried to check everything off. And often in their efforts to look and to live by the list, they forgot about the people around them and, and the life that God had called them to, not just living by this list of good deeds. They're described in this place as God-fearing at times and God-loving Pharisees, but in other places they're described as the shoulder Pharisee. In other words, people who like to carry around their good deeds on their shoulder because who can see what I've done when I put it on my shoulder? Everybody, right? The shoulder Pharisee is one way they're described. Others are described as wait a little Pharisee. These are people who are always looking for a reason to put off doing something good. Others are called the hunched over Pharisee because they would literally walk hunched over to try to point uh, out how humble they were before God. Now, before we, we stand back and point fingers so sharply at the Pharisees, I, I've been asking myself this week, and I invite you to as well, in what ways am I a Pharisee at times? Because you remember Nicodemus in John chapter four, uh, 3, when uh, G, uh, Jesus talks about what it means to have new birth, what it means to be born again in the Spirit of God. It was Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who came hungering to know about... Jesus, hungering to know about the Word of God. He was the one who came at night to ask Jesus, and that great conversation happens. So let's not take today and point out and, and say, oh, poor Pharisees, this is an invitation starting with me, and I offer it to you, that we might all take a hard look in the mirror and ask the Lord and invite Him in. The two summary statements Jesus gives to them are not very flattering to the Pharisees and then the teachers of the law. He calls one group like tombs. You know what's in a tomb, right? Have you been to a graveyard lately? A couple years ago I was out to a, a graveyard in Tamales and I was just out on a little day-long personal retreat and I found myself gravitating to this graveyard. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. But I remember looking at some of the tombstones and I began to wonder what their lives were like and wondering you know, why these particular markers and what their family was like. I saw a pair of brothers who died. They were about 25 years old. They were from England. Somehow had found their way out here. I wondered what their story was like. But we don't know because, or I didn't, because in the tomb all you have is a name and a date. But we know what's in that ground. It's death and decay. And Jesus, in another place, in Matthew, in this version, uh, in this story, he, he describes them as whitewashed tombs. Have you ever seen whitewash over something? You know, whitewash is this, it's kind of like paint, but it's not quite as sturdy. 
So when you have something that you want to whitewash, it, it's a way of prettying up something on the outside. But it doesn't last very long because it doesn't take long for what's underneath to begin to start slowly oozing back out. And then you have to whitewash it again and again and over and over Again, Jesus describes the Pharisees, those who, who would talk about religious things and, and, and do a lot of religious stuff. But along the way, they had distorted what it means to really relate to God through... Um, and certainly, they would reject Jesus. But then, in the process, it began to affect and impact and distort the way they were relating to people. They would focus on their stuff without giving any focus to the people around them. And it was a messed up form of religious practice. Jesus describes them as people who are so focused on cleaning the outside, projecting some sort of something out so that the people around me might think that, well, I've got everything together, yet not willing to reveal maybe there are difficult problems in me. These Pharisees were people that outside looked like they had all the right stuff, but inside they were described as people dying and decaying like a tomb. I mean, it is a very powerful, very sharp image. Jesus invites us to life, and life that starts from the inside out. He describes the Pharisees as those who, who pay attention to religious acts and little attention to people. He describes them as those who are infatuated with, with places of prestige and honor and getting the accolades and I want to tell you that, that that is a trap for a lot of church leaders today, is this hunger to be recognized by other people. Have you ever found yourself maybe serving in the church and exercising the gifts that God has placed in you? And maybe, maybe you've been neglected in the recognition, perhaps that you're even due, and you find yourself getting torn up inside about it. And you find yourself longing to be recognized for the things that, Maybe God would invite you today to be seeking first His praise instead of seeking the praise of other people primarily. He describes them as those who place impossible burdens over the backs of other people, focusing on what they should do and, uh, rather than who they should be and what they're becoming. He describes them as people who are unrepentant, they're unwilling to turn and to let God change them. They have become so comfortable with, with their traditions and so comfortable with, with the familiar forms of religious practice that they kept Jesus at an arm's distance away. I remember, uh, in fact, I was talking to one of my sons this week and this old memory popped into my head. And it was so amazing to me because when... When I was 17 years old, I uh, dove into my, my best friend's swimming pool and I broke my tooth. And I remember as my face smashed the bottom of the pool, praise God I didn't break my neck, but I remember in a, a moment of reflex, I whipped my hand up and I caught my tooth in the water somehow. And I stand up in the swimming pool about waist deep of water and I looked at my friend and I said, Todd, I broke my tooth but I caught it. He was pretty amazed. So was I. And you know, the first prayer that whisked through my brain was this. Was God, oh please, let it be the tooth I had already broken. Because <laughs> when I was about nine, I had broken one of my front teeth. In fact, on your way out, if you want, you can look real close. You can see 
You can see the two crowns that I have on the front. My teeth have kind of been whitewashed. (laughs) But underneath, they're decaying. They look good. Sort of. They're old. But I had broken one of my teeth. My stupid brother caused me to break my tooth. But that's another story. Nine years old, I broke my tooth right in half. I'd had crowns put on it all my life growing up. And I prayed, God, let this be the tooth I've already broken because I knew the misery of going through that. And then the very next thing is what surprised me. You want to hear what came right through my mind? Was this. But God, even if it's not, I'm going to trust you in it. And I said, where'd that come from? It was really a surprise to me. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that all of the the forming that I had been going through as a child growing up in a church and the influence of my mother and youth pastors and my brother and, and other people in my faith community and the way that people had taken God's Word and put it into my heart and the way that I was learning to, to take and read the Bible and, and, and to let God's Word seep into my heart and soul, all of a sudden, I began to realize when I was 17 years old, these things that were shaping and transforming my life, that even in the moment of a, a silly broken tooth, I realized that I could take and enter into a situation that I didn't want. And it was preparing me for other more challenging situations in my future. But I could trust God in them because He was transforming my attitude. He was transforming my ability to trust. He was showing me how a life and an approach to life is changed. And you know what I said? Even at that moment, I said, Wow, I want more of this. <laughs> I want to know more of what it is to have a mind and a heart that's changed to reflect the things of God. To look at the world the way Jesus does and to invite Him to look at my life and to help me see what He sees. Because I don't want to go through life Living the way I think I should live. I want to go through life living the life God wants me to live. To know what it is to have the the creator of the heavens transform me more and more. And that's that's the promise of the scripture. The Pharisees in this passage were resistant to the work of God. You remember... You remember what their response was? It wasn't falling on their knees and praying, how can we come and have a relationship with you? No, no, they began to look for ways to keep him and to push him out farther from their life. Jesus invites us today into a place of reflection for transformation's sake. Right? Spiritual life isn't just self-awareness. I think sometimes in the world around us, when people talk about spirituality, I think sometimes they're talking about sort of coming to these places of self-recognition and self-awareness, and and it's a deep, moving experience, and they they equate it with a spiritual encounter and a spiritual experience, but, but that's not the way the Bible describes spirituality. The Bible describes spirituality as coming to the real person of Jesus Christ and beginning to taste the transformative power that He has to shape you more and more into the image of Himself until Christ is formed. He's shaped in you, 
in your heart, on your inside. So your inner life becomes beautiful, not, not a dead, decaying, grotesque thing. You know, religious people are really good at hiding. Religious people are really good at performing. Religious people are really good about going through the motions. Maybe they believe that in itself is going to change them, but yet they keep Jesus at arm's length. They say, I I like the traditions, I like whatever, but I don't really want the transforming touch of Jesus in me. I don't know about you, but I want more of it. I want more of it. And that's why confession becomes such an important part of our ongoing Christian life. It's not just something that we do at the beginning of our journey to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. It's something that we learn to be in touch with. We learn to live a life that's examined before the Lord and to invite Him. Jesus, earlier in this passage, in verses 29 and uh, to 32, He describes a couple of different reactions. He, he describes... Remember King Solomon? What was King Solomon? One word King Solomon was known for. Wisdom. Wisdom. Earlier in this passage, uh, Jesus describes the queen of Sheba, this, this queen from Ethiopia who would come up to seek out the wisdom of Solomon. And she's commended by Jesus for her pursuit of the wisdom of God. And then Jesus uses another example. He describes the Ninevites. Do you remember the Old Testament prophet who was sent to Nineveh to preach? Do you remember who it was? Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah, the one swallowed up by a big fish? You know why all that happened? Is because God called him to go to Nineveh, but he went the opposite direction. And so God redirects him. And when he does, what happens? He goes and and he shares the message of forgiveness and redemption. Teaching people to confess their sin and to turn to God. And what happens? They do it. They confess their sin. I mean, the Ninevites, they were a nasty people. They were mean. They were cruel. They were known around the world for their cruelty. If there's ever a people who would never change, it was the Ninevites. And they were the mortal enemies of the Jewish people. How could God call a Jewish prophet to go to the Ninevites? I mean, it might cost him his life. (laughs) But what did it cost? What happened was that the Ninevites sat in repentance and confession and they sought the Lord. And Jesus uses that as an example of how to properly respond to God. But not the Pharisees, not these Pharisees at least. They were happy with their religious practice, but keeping Jesus at arm's length. And that's not the life that God calls you and me to. God calls us to invite Him to examine our lives, to let us see ourselves the way Jesus does, not the way the world does. Not the way our biggest fan likes to talk in our ear. I mean, we need that too. But to learn at times to see our brokenness. And when we notice areas of our life that that remain persistently broken, and we've not opened that up to let God heal it, He invites you today to open that part of your life and to say, Lord Jesus, won't you touch this broken area of my life? There's this part of my life that stays unclean, And I've been unwilling to open up and and let you mop it out. But today I want to do that. That's 
That's what confession looks like in our lives. It's learning to see ourselves and to acknowledge that we're not perfect and not to put on a pretense or put on a smile when things inside are so catastrophic, but learning to to bear one another's burdens and to walk and encourage each other in the holiness of God. One last thing is that you know the Pharisees, Jesus talked about this light. I, I was out uh, at this nature education for a, a week with one of my sons, and um, as we went out on our night hike, I mean, it was nighttime. It had rained most of the day, but, and it was like God knew our schedule. It was amazing, because we go out on the night hike, and the, the clouds part, and we could see the stars. And our naturalist, as he led about ten of us out, he said, he said I've got a flashlight I'm the only one who has a flashlight. Who else has flashlights? And he confiscated them. (laughs) He says, I'm the only one with a flashlight. And he says, there are going to be times when I'll take us out where the animals are. And he says, there will be times I'll tell you to get behind me because I'm going to shine my flashlight so you can see the animals. And if you're in front of me and I turn my light on and you turn back and the light gets in your eyes, it's going to mess up your night vision. You're not going to be able to see things and it'll take too long for them to recalibrate and then your night will be ruined. And those kids, boy, they, they did. He said, okay, get behind me. And they all... <laughs> and he would turn on his flashlight and we could see the reflecting eyes of deer out in the field and we saw how close we could get to them before they felt uncomfortable. But you know what the Pharisees, they, they came out of this Jewish tradition and Jesus would say in another part, He says, says you religious people... You study this book, the Bible, and it tells you all about coming to me. It leads you to the coming of Jesus, and yet you refuse to come to me, Jesus says, in order to have life. And it's like you're carrying the light, but instead of shining it out there, it's like at night you're putting it right in your face, and it's ruining your vision. And so you're so focused on the religious practice that you're, you're missing on what the light is intended to do and what the light is intended to focus your attention on. And um, it's, it's ruinous for your soul. Jesus invites us today, in this season of Lent, into some repentance. You have in your, your bulletin, we're going to close with this, I'm almost done. Just a little purple sheet. So it's, this is your invitation. You're officially invited. And I'm hoping that we might have at least 100 people in our church uh, go through this with us. There's a little description. You see here there's a reference. That's a lot of words if you go into your uh, web browser and type that in, but you're welcome to do that. Either today or tomorrow, you're going to get an email. Um, if you're not on our email list, make sure you fill out a welcome card and let us know how we can email this link. It's a whole lot easier, trust me, to get a link. And you can just click it, and you can open this on your computer or your device. And I'm going to show you what it is real quickly. Um, you're, you'll have access to this. It's a 40-day uh, each page is a different day. <clears throat> and what it has is a, a photo. It has a Bible verse and a little reflection question. So it's pretty simple. It's an opportunity for you to, um, for us together to have some, some ways of reflecting on the Lord as we walk through this Lenten season together. So, at the bottom, bottom half of your purple sheet, here's what you're invited to do. Three things. Is to take this guide and to use it for personal reflection. That's number one. 
to just commit to using it for personal reflection. There's a picture, a Bible verse, and a question. Number two is to partner up with somebody. Either somebody in the church, maybe a special friend you have somewhere else. Uh, You could send the link to them and you could invite them because here's what partnering up means is that you every day are going to do your very best to get together with that person. It might be face-to-face, it might be through text, it might be a phone call some way. You're going to spend a couple of minutes just touching base, just sharing what God has shown you that day through that verse or in your reflection question. And maybe, just maybe, God will surprise you and that relationship might become a sweet relationship. And maybe it will flower and expand and deepen into some other directions. But it's so important that we do things like this together so that we can learn from each other and encourage each other. And then here's the third thing. Number three is to commit to praying for one person in your life who doesn't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus and beginning every day to name them by name and just to ask the Lord to reveal Himself to that person. So that's what you're invited to do. Whether you care about Lent or couldn't care less about Lent, that doesn't matter. Um, Trying, if you like, by this Wednesday to pair yourself up with somebody, that's going to mean asking someone to do this with you. Um, Some of you are like, I hope nobody asks me. I know. I want to encourage you. If somebody asks you, just consider saying yes. And you're, you're invited today to leave here asking and praying who God might want you to partner with through this. It's a pretty simple process. Um, there's really no, there's no key moment to start. Um, hopefully by next Sunday, maybe everybody who's wanting to do it will have partnered up and have started. And you just kind of agree where you want to start, what day you want to start on. If you're not done by Easter, who cares? It's all right. So that's your invitation so that we can together continue to build our relational bonds together. Relational bonds that are surrounded in our spiritual quest to know Jesus more fully in our lives and the ability to encourage and to to prod one another on so that we together in our imperfections can help each other become more perfected in Jesus. Father, this is part of our prayer this morning is that we, we stare ahead In about six weeks' time, we're going to be in this place and we're going to be celebrating Easter and uh, commemorating the the greatest of Christian holidays and remembrances and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's something I believe and many in this room believe deeply. And if we didn't, there would be no reason for Christian faith. And so we pray that this might be a season for all of us where we would intentionally place ourselves before you and intentionally reach our hand out and walk with someone during these 40 days to come and that you would guide us in this process. We pray, Jesus, won't you you bless us with your goodness? Won't you show us that it's not just confession for confession's sake? And we don't do this just to be pointed out how miserable we are. But it's so that through confession we would know your restoration and we would know the beauty of your cleansing and the freedom that you invite us into. God, that's what we need so that we can grow to become more and more like Jesus. Walk with us, we pray. Help us to follow you. In your name we ask it together. Amen. We invite you to grab your music sheet. Why don't you stand up and let's sing a couple of verses of our last song together.